I gave this, uh, this passage this morning a title of A Spectacle Like Jesus. And um, I wanted to start with the spectacle that's kind of referred to in, uh, in verse 9. A procession that, that Paul refers to. He's referring to something that was called a triumph, where a Roman general victorious in battle was entitled to have a procession on returning to his home garrison, to his home city. And the general was entitled to sit at the front of the procession on the biggest, sturdiest, strongest horse with all his bravest and finest soldiers coming in just behind him so that everybody would see how great and how wonderful a general he was, leading a triumphant army. And so the image is of of adulation, of heroism, of people looking on in awe and perhaps in fear as they'd been shoved out into the streets to make sure that they were also saying well done to the general. Quite a spectacle would have been seen in a triumph like that. And it seems that Paul is suggesting that the church at Corinth had got that kind of mentality into their head. That maybe the church at Corinth, having met with Jesus and given their lives to Jesus and sought to become followers of Jesus, had thought that they had arrived. That they were the finished article. That they had something that others didn't have and that they could lord it over them. And Paul is quite critical. Verse 8, he refers to the Corinthians as rich, as being kings already. In verse 10, he says how they are so wise and how strong they are and how honoured they are. And there's kind of irony belting through those words as Paul writes them. But he picks up on something that is real human nature, I think. A few years ago when I was um, studying uh, at college to to, to come into ministry, um, I'd I'd left my job and uh, the the three children were born so we had a mortgage and all those kinds of stuff and it was an interesting time, an amazing time of God's provision. But one of those times of provision was... In, in the holidays and stuff, I, I, I would do some work for the company that I worked for before I left and went to college. And uh, I remember I had a, a meeting with some clients of this company. And I, I have to be so grateful, well, I am so grateful. We, we were given a car um, that I could use to get to and from college. It was a 20-year-old Daihatsu Charade. 
and it was just about hanging together. But it was brilliant. It was just provision from God. But I had this meeting in the Midlands and I thought, this Daihatsu charade ain't going to make it from Bristol to the Midlands and back. And so I asked a friend in the church, would, would I be able to borrow one of your cars? And bless them. I was thinking they're kind of little runaround car. But bless them, they, they put me on the insurance of their big, flash, V8, three-litre engine, leather seat, every mod con, bell and whistle going, car. And they, they just brought it round and said, here, use this. And I thought, yeah, it's all right. But then I found myself driving up the motorway and beginning to look down my nose at all the kind of rusty cars I was burning past. And I made sure that when I parked in the car park, I parked next to a really nasty car so that I looked the business in my big flash leather-clad car. And then I thought, ugh, it's not even mine. And here I am pretending that somehow I'm all superior because I'm driving this super-duper car. And I thought, yeah, I'm just a human being who just gets his head turned by toys and stuff. And don't get me wrong, it was great fun. And boy, did it shift. Up to 70 miles, of course. But boy, did it shift. But I saw the folly of verse 7 what makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you did not receive I'd forgotten that that car was a gift of generosity from someone else and I was behaving boasting as if I hadn't been given it but it was mine by rights And I think that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. And maybe he says that to us too. So here we have verse, verse 1, Paul is trying to remind the Corinthians that, that he, Apollos, Cephas, Peter, that was mentioned in chapter 1, they are simply servants of Jesus. Whereas people have been kind of breaking into factions and saying, I'm with the Paul gang. And others saying, I'm with the Peter gang. And others saying, I'm with the Apollos gang. And they're kind of breaking down into factions of people that they kind of like their way of doing things. And Paul is saying, ah, oh, we're just servants of Jesus. Please, don't forget don't, don't get sucked into to our kind of human way of doing things, of, of factions. So easily our culture can suck us in to seeking power and influence. Thinking that, that just because we're respectable people, that we therefore have a right to a certain way of being. And Paul is saying, hang on a minute. Where's your humility? 
in verse 3 could sound really arrogant what he says in verse 3 I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court could kind of be very dismissive of the Corinthians he's writing to but he's, he's just kind of saying look actually I don't really worry what you think if you if you get a bit uppity by these words but here what Jesus would be saying to you because ultimately Jesus is my guide and I think we're quite sensitive to people's opinions I am because I'm a human being but Paul's saying look don't don't be kind of swayed by people's opinions this way and that way keep your focus on Jesus of course we need to make assessment and judgments about what's what's coming and people's opinions to some extent feed into us but what's at the heart of that who's in control is it our pride or is it God in the driving seat see Paul is, is really attacking pride in these Corinthians and maybe for us pride doesn't look like what Paul is describing but pride can come out in all sorts of different ways perhaps we get very kind of possessive over certain things that we're involved in we don't want anyone else to be near them perhaps it's shown just in in our attitudes we kind of look down our noses at certain people for no particular reason just like I did in that car kind of folly and yet we find ourselves doing it maybe even without thinking about it we kind of put ourselves at arm's length with other people or maybe we get caught up in thinking that actually our problems are far bigger than anybody else's problems and so I can't possibly do anything for anybody else because actually I've just got way more than enough to cope with myself. And there can be a reality about times when life is difficult. But actually sometimes in the midst of our difficulty we need to step out of that. And we need to trust God that he will hold us in the midst of our problems and we can reach out to others maybe it's our stuff our material wealth that holds us back but I think Paul gets to the heart of human nature that we can be so proud we can be so caught up in ourselves that even as followers of Jesus we can just get it all out of kilter and end up thinking that we are rich in our own right instead of rich because of God's grace and mercy. And so Paul picks up on that picture of the triumph that I described at the beginning. And in verse 9, 
He says, it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Because guess what? At the very back of the triumph, after all the heroes and and other soldiers and worthies, came the slaves that had been captured. Came those that were, were going to be taken to the arena to be played with and killed they came at the end of the procession and people knew that the people at the end of the procession were procession they they were the ones you could hear insults at they were the ones that you could you could think well at least i'm not in their situation but paul is saying actually that's where i view myself i'm at the very end of the procession And we've already referred to the irony of the next few verses, 10, 11, 12, where instead of being strong, Paul says, I'm, I, I, I'm weak. Instead of being wise, I say, I'm a fool for Christ. Instead of seeking honour, I say, I am dishonoured. None of those things matter compared to serving Jesus and doing what he would have us do. And it ends up pretty striking. Verse 13. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth. Refuse of the world. That's not a big advert for being a follower of Jesus, is it? To be scum of the earth refuse of the world I wonder what we make of that is that just first century rhetoric is that Paul just trying to get our attention is that Paul just being a bit of a cranky fanatic well I don't know Maybe, maybe there is some of that. Maybe there is some rhetoric in there. But the point is that our hearts need to be all out for God. And he's saying to the Corinthians, and perhaps to us today, are, are your hearts all out for God? Are you 100% wanting to serve God even if that means you end up at the bottom of the pile. Even if that means that you are sneered at. Even if that means you are passed over for promotion. Are we 100% for that? See, I don't think Paul's intention here is to create guilt. If we aren't in that place of being scum of the earth and refuse for the world, because actually God uses us in so many different places, in so many different ways, and we need to influence our world for Jesus' sake, wherever we are, whatever position we're in. But we must never let our hearts become proud 
and forget that wherever we are, whoever we are, what we have is gift from God. And we give thanks daily, hourly, for that gift, for us to use wisely. So let me take you to another procession that we've already been at today. Procession of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The crowds beginning to gather. Word of mouth spreading. Palm branches being yanked off of trees. Just imagine the neighbours in their front garden. Oh, get off my front garden. But palm branches being thrown down. People's cloaks being taken off and thrown down. Jesus entering Jerusalem. The crowds in front of and behind shouting Hosanna. In a sense, it was one of Jesus' big moments of public attention. And yet he didn't come into Jerusalem on a white charger like a conquering general. As so many people expected that he would, they expected the Messiah to come and overthrow the powers that were there by revolution, by force. If it had been in today's terms, people would have expected Jesus to arrive in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. But actually he arrived in a white transit van. A beast of burden. A utilitarian vehicle that nobody would have expected the King of Kings to arrive in. Maybe we have a view on how things ought to be. Maybe we have a view on, on, on how folks that, that we know desperately need Jesus and we want to kind of press our way of them coming to Jesus on them. I wonder today, are we prepared to just step back and say, okay, Lord, how, how would you do it? How would you use me to speak to the people that I rub shoulders with day to day who need you, who need to know you? Maybe I'm trying to make it the Rolls Royce route and you want to make it the transit van route. Lord, do it your way. That takes humility because we can so easily get it in our head how we want to do it. Got a lovely story of humility as as we come to a finish. Some of you may know of a Dutch lady called Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom was... uh, was part of an amazing family who during the Second World War put themselves at 
risk of death in order to save some of the Jewish community amongst whom they lived. And for a long while during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, they hid people in their house and risked arrest. Until one day they were betrayed by somebody and the Gestapo came and took them. And very quickly, Corrie Ten Boom's father died in captivity. And then for a long while, Corrie and her sister Betsy continued in concentration camp conditions in Ravensburg. But they continued to serve others and they continued to encourage others to turn their eyes upon Jesus. And they saw cruelty. And they saw slaughter. And very, very shortly before, they were, before Corrie was released, Betsy, her sister, died. And Corrie had every reason in the world to be a bitter, hard person. But she learned to forgive. Culminating in one moment where she was confronted with one of the guards. When she was in a meeting in Germany. And she had at that moment to choose to forgive him. He had become a Christian since the war and he'd come and said, I, I, I seek your forgiveness. And all she could picture was all the suffering that had been caused. But she found it possible to forgive in that moment. And actually her story through the rest of her life until she died was one of, of living and embodying forgiveness. She became pretty famous for it. She spoke a lot. She wrote a lot. And she at any point could have become really puffed up and proud of the fact that she was a good forgiver. She was a famous forgiver. But no. She was asked one day, if it was difficult to remain humble. And she said this, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving branches and throwing their garments on the road, singing their praises, do you think that for one moment it entered the head of the donkey that any of this was for him. And then she continued, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus rides in his glory, then I can give him all the praise and all the honour. This Palm Sunday May you welcome Jesus on his terms today. May you become the vehicle 
for Jesus to be honoured and worshipped today. Invite you just to, to take a few moments, just to be quiet, to be thinking, to be asking God to maybe speak into your heart. There are places where I need to, to deal with pride. Are there ways in which I serve where I actually want the recognition, but I just need to give that to God that he might be glorified? <laughs>